Do you want in on a secret that high-performance marketing teams use to drive ROI? AdRoll gives your business the marketing edge you need to make hitting your goals easier while saving time. AdRoll optimizes ad campaigns across display, native, and social media channels all in one place. Deduplicate conversion attribution across channels and even trigger emails based on user interactions. Sign up at adroll.com slash ROI to join the club. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, do you have a nemesis? Erin, I think if I have a nemesis, it's just myself. <laughs> Though I evolved. Do, I do love one of my favorite people on Twitter X, whatever it is, is Roxanne Gay when she's always talking about her nemesis. And I'm like, I I'm so desperate to know who that person is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I kind I kind of like the mystery. I kind of like the nemesis. Do you mystery. have a nemesis? I have multiple nemeses, um, and they cycle in and out of my life very quickly, okay. usually with when I pass them in traffic or they pass me and I like I forget I forget about them pretty quickly. How many people do you pass in traffic? Are you talking about your husband? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I just I, I get real mad and then I uh, then I forget about it. I get it. Fun show this week, Alyssa. We say this every week, but this week I especially mean it. I really love when we get a little chance to just rant, and we certainly did this week. Same. I feel like as we learned during the elections of last week and every prior election after Dobbs that has dealt with the issue of choice, abortion is the most important issue going Mm -hmm. into 2024. And it's not only the most important issue politically, because it is super important politically, but in the lived experiences of women— around the country, it is incredibly important. So this week's episode gets to kind of run the gamut. Yeah. In news, news, what do we talk about? News, we talk about, well, Aaron, look, the ladies, the GOP ladies, they're up to no good. They're jiggery-pokery. They're trying to talk about abortion in ways that are not honest to what they actually think. They're talking about protecting the unborn, but still refusing to acknowledge uh, the life of the living. So we kind of try to pull that apart a little bit because they're mm-hmm. hypocrites. Yes, we're watching some real message finessing happening yes. right before our eyes and we are not going to let it slide. Uh, and then we have a conversation that I had with Chrissy Teigen mm-hmm. and Monica Simpson, who is the executive director of Sister Song. And we talked about the importance of the reproductive justice movement in 2024 and beyond and the role of storytelling in reproductive health. And then we have like a little supersized Sani Petty, which is really good fun. And, and we poke we poke a little extra fun at what is Vogue doing? Yeah, what is Vogue? Vogue's voguing again. They're voguing. All right. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who know smarmy bullshit when they see it. Sometimes we smell it first, but we know what it is. Um, I want to I want to start today. You know, this isn't like the headline of all headlines, but is the funniest yet worst for America thing. You know how we talked about that? We talked about a matrix funny and bad for America. This is funny and bad for America. The Republican men and one pick me woman are (laughs) fighting in like brawling. They're 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 brawling. They want to brawl. Yeah. They're challenging each other to fights. They're duels. They might as well be duels. They might as no, no, no. They're like fist, like slapping. And look, I don't think 
I don't believe that any of those people involved in any of these altercations from Tuesday don't have soft hands. They, they all <laughs> except Bernie. Bernie. Bernie Bernie was almost involved. Yeah. Well, Bernie was had to break it up. So what happened on Tuesday is that uh, during a committee hearing, Bernie Sanders almost had to break up a physical fight between Oklahoma Republican Mark Wayne Mullen and the Teamsters Sean O'Brien. Um, what did you make of that moment, Aaron? I mean, look, Mark Wayne. Mark Wayne, you got to pick your fights, bro. You either pick a fight with a Sean O'Brien from Medfin Mass or the head of the Teamsters. Yeah. But when the head of the Teamsters is also Sean O'Brien of Medford Mass, I think you're punching above your weight. I, I mean, yeah. when Bernie Sanders feels so concerned for everyone's well-being that he has to get that pointer finger out and be like, sit down. Sit down right now. It's the no, you may, United States Senate. No, may, no you may not respond. No, um, you may not. He, it was – the thing that was, like, really funny to me was that, you know, whatever, the team – people have picked fights with Teamsters many times in the past, and it, some of them were never found. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know if it's the same now as it was, like, during the, the Hoffa disappearance times, but I just say for good measure it's not a great call to – try to engage in a physical fight with an important member of the Teamsters. No. Um, I wouldn't do it. And then Kevin McCarthy used his one fight move, which is body check people and then deny that he did it, uh, when he elbowed uh, fellow Republican Tim Burchett in the back, which is the same thing okay. he did to Representative Adam Kinziger of Illinois when Kevin was similarly pissy about something that, that Representative Kinzinger had done. If you're going to do it, Fucking do it. Yeah. You know, elbow him when you get called on it. Be like, yeah, I fucking elbowed him because I hate him. That is far more boss yeah. than being like, I don't know what he's talking about. I didn't do it. And then Aaron, because I watched this saga unfold all day, because, you know, I have cable news on all day. Mm -hmm. By like dinner time, Kevin McCarthy was all like, if I did it. <laughs> If you okay, don't try to change the narrative. You know, like you just when I'm about to feel sorry for Kevin McCarthy, it's like, oh yeah, he's a guy who goes around at work and elbows his coworkers in the back, and then is like, I didn't. Like he's he deserves everything bad, everything totally. bad that happens to him because um, he's a weasel. And meanwhile, meanwhile in the House, we have a uh, new. Speaker and certified freak seven days a week, Mike Johnson, pass uh, essentially, look, essentially putting the American budget on Klarna. Like, have you ever checked out and you've bought like a, you know, a wool blanket and it's like, do you want to pay in four installments? And you're like, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> but we're using Klarna to fund this this country now. And uh, I mean, look, if it works for college kids that are trying to buy a, a Sheen Hall, then, you know, why doesn't it work? I guess. For the, why, why not work for, for America? Um, yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, I mean, they're at fighting. least the government didn't shut down. At least the government didn't shut down. This is the bare minimum. That is bare like minimum. saying, at least I didn't drive my car off a bridge every time I get from one place to another. It's like, no, that wasn't even something that was no. in consideration. Now the government's just driving with its hazards on. Yeah, it's drive it's it's parked in a disabled spot, like illegally. Illegally. <laughs> and it's had its hazards on and it's been there for like three hours. And you're like, you that's not how hazards work. Be like, you're getting a mani pedi. That's not what you do. Right, exactly. I think I, I don't like to do this, but I think I'm about to call traffic control 
to deal with your car because it's so irritating how blatantly you're break, breaking the rules. Um, okay, let's get into something that that I have noticed as sort of a through line. Um, so there was an election last week, obviously. Yes. Abortion won big yes. once again. Um, and, you know, since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in 2022, abortions, like, undefeated completely mm-hmm. undefeated when it's been put up for a vote. And last week's election, we saw an absolute shellacking of Republicans in elections that were supposed to be closer than they ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got the GOP panicking. And I think we got to see the night after in the Republican debate some real-time brainstorming on how conservatives can finesse their unpopular and bad ideas on abortion into something more palatable, but really— they're just trying to figure out a new way to trick us going into 2024. So mm-hmm. we just kind of want to go over some of the ways that the GOP and conservatives are pit- – some of the ideas they're pitching and and, mm-hmm. and what is actually behind the ideas. Because I don't know. You know, it's – what what is what – is, it's it's not – you could, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, you know? And that's kind of what they're trying to <laughs> Amen do. Amen to that. It's kind of <laughs> what they're trying to do. So uh, let's talk about the GOP girlies. Kaylee McEnany uh. – Alyssa, what did Kaylee suggest as a new way forward for Republicans on abortion? Aaron, first of all, I can't believe we still have to talk about this nut. Okay? I know. She says, want to make sure I don't get this wrong, she says the GOP should, quote, not just be a pro-baby party, but a pro-mother party. Okay? She goes on to say that there should be legislation to make the child tax credit apply to the unborn. This is her strategy. This is what she says she wants to do. And that there should be legislation for women to have access to supplemental food and nutrition program up to two years after childbirth. Okay. Okay. How about paid family leave, you stupid bitch? Erin, it's so much worse than that. Because if you actually take a minute and think about what she's saying, This absolute fucking asshole, I bet she doesn't even know that WIC, Women, Infants, and Children Money, uh, exists, that WIC is there, that SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, is there, and that Republicans have tried to gut it year after fucking year after fucking year. Um, Moreover, moreover, tax, tax, uh, child tax credit expired 2021. All Republicans were for it. They they let it expire. Child poverty doubled in 2022. Because okay? of that expiration. Because of that expiration. So, Kaylee, first of all, for this is the other thing, Aaron. When they're talking about having child tax credits apply to fetuses, these are people who don't think, who want to offset every fucking program that there is. Oh, you want to get that? There should be a pay for. You should have to work. You should have to you have to work and prove that you're working if you want to get any sort of uh, assistance from the government. Okay, but they think that supplying a tax credit for the unborn is going to not be ripe with fraud. Yeah, like it's just such fucking hypocrisy and bullshit. And they continue to show that they do not care about. People who are living. They also like, the don't, people are alive. They also don't know how much things cost. It's like, oh, what's a banana? What it's what's it cost, Michael? Ten dollars? Like, as a parent, let me tell you what costs a lot more than what I would gain from some sort of like fetal tax credit. Okay. Uh child care. 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 You, why aren't child care why aren't ch- child care workers cannot 
earn a living wage. Childcare centers don't have the ability to profit. What like it's it's razor thin. Childcare costs so much more than any tax credit that I could get mm-hmm. for like nine months. Apl- back applied to nine months. That's that doesn't do shit for me. It's like um, yeah, it do- it doesn't do shit. And another thing, medical care. Medical care. You want to be pro mother? Yeah. Why? Why? was uh, my uncomplicated birth. Why did my uncomplicated birth in Los Angeles cost my insurance company? Why was my insurance company billed $28,000 for an uncomplicated birth in a hospital? Like, why does, uh, why is prenatal care something that is difficult for people to access in rural areas? Why is uh, postpartum care Something that you you see your doctor like six months after you have a kid. They like send you out of the hospital and they're like, see in or six weeks. And they're like, see you in six weeks. And then they don't right. like, you don't see anybody and you're like in a terror. Maybe they could stop passing laws that are so terrorizing to OBGYNs that there aren't like massive gynecological deserts across exactly. the country. Take a look at what's there, happening in red states, in Idaho, in Utah, in Florida, the Dakotas. in the Dakotas. Their prenatal care is unavailable partly because they caused this problem. They made it a hostile place for doctors to live and work. So like you want to be pro-mother and you're going to try to do it with a fucking tax credit? Give me a goddamn break. That is ridiculous. And also, in the U.S., we don't have any guaranteed family leave. FMLA right. only applies to something like 55% of workers. Mm-hmm. So almost half of workers don't aren't even eligible for the 12 weeks of unpaid leave that FMLA grants under circum- unpaid. certain circumstances. Unpaid leave. Unpaid leave. Um, it's, it's so... It's so silly, and it is such a pitch from a person who is completely, who's never really been in a situation where they've had to struggle or they've had to make these decisions or they've had to. And made by a person who only cares about winning and cares nothing about what the American people actually want, including Republicans, because uh, she is frankly out of touch and all of the election results from last week prove that. Mm -hmm. Extremely. Well, Nikki Haley, I think, is a little bit more of a canny politician than Kayleigh McEnany. And we saw a really interesting moment in Mm -hmm. last week. We were texting about this. Yeah. In last week's GOP debate, we heard Nikki Haley mix in some pragmatism mm-hmm. with what ultimately is the same idea that she already has. So basically, um, Haley said that that if Republicans want to be realistic, they have to consider the fact that they don't have the votes for a national ban mm-hmm. and that that the voters have spoken. And it appears that voters that, that are able to, you know, decide at the ballot box in places like Ohio um, – and Kansas, not in every state. Not every state has the same procedure for adding right. amendments to the state constitution. But in some states, voters are able to speak directly and change their laws. Uh, in other states, they're not. Nikki Haley was like, let's not mess with them. We're not going to be able to pass a federal ban. Mm-hmm. And then after she says this semi-reasonable thing, she says that if they did have the votes to pass a federal ban, she would sign it. So really— right. What she's saying, what she's doing is sucking up to people that are afraid of a federal ban by being like, don't be afraid of a federal ban, but I would totally sign one. I would. But then again, it's like, this is the problem. None of these people are actually telling the truth. Like, Aaron, you and I actually have no idea what Nikki Haley actually believes on abortion. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't. Like, she could be someone who's like, pro-life for me, but 
do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. That you could parse, but that's so called many being pro-choice. Positions. That's called being exactly. pro-choice. Like I, if you you're like, parse. I would never have an abortion, but it's totally up to. It's none of my business if other people do. That's called being pro-choice. But the funny thing is, she didn't stand up there and be all like. Six weeks, six weeks, which, you know, she was standing next to Ron DeSantis and all those other nuts who were like, yeah, abortion should be federally illegal. But yet she still raised – this is the thing I think is so funny and that Republicans, again, are not reading the warning signs. And far be it from us to show them the warning signs. But she was like in a poll the next day, declared the winner of the debate by many people and raised a million dollars within 24 hours, which if you're not Donald Trump, that feels like a pretty good amount of money. And so clearly – there are a lot of Republicans who are not repelled by her ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that going into 2024, we're going to see a lot more soft focus Republican women using mm. personal stories to justify limiting the health care choices for all women. So Nikki mm-hmm. Haley brought up during her debate answer. Again, we're we're talking about it a lot because it was very interesting, and I think it's a, it was a, interesting. I think it's a look into the future. She talked about her personal struggles with infertility, and that right. and that's real. Like that that's real, and it's super heartbreaking when it when it happens to people who want to have children and and have a difficult time doing it on their own. That's real, but like that is not justification for limiting the choices of other people. Okay, so as an infertile person, okay. Let me tell you why that answer enraged me. Because how fucking dare you? Mm-hmm. You don't get to use infertile people as some like why abortion shouldn't happen. Because what's the actual cause and effect there? Is it like, well, I'm infertile, so you should be forced to have a baby so I can adopt it? Like, what is the what is the cause and effect? Like, how do people, does anyone's infertility have anything to do with the ability for women to choose what they want to do with their bodies? It was, that was the part. And, you know, I'm like willing to give her a little running room because she's not the worst of all of them. Mm-hmm. But that to me was like, literally go fuck yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a really important point. Like, if you are somebody who has struggled with infertility and that sort of message resonates with you because it does kind of hurt to see other people being able to do something that you want to do if, yes. if that's what you want. But, like, don't fall for it. You are not a pawn. You do not – like, Nikki Haley is trying to use you as a pawn. She's trying to use her personal story as, like, a pawn. Yes. Um, Ronna McDaniel, not on the same team as Nikki Haley, team pragmatism. No. Ronna McDaniel is is continuing to – I don't know. I guess, like, if you can, if you can ride the big lie bus for as long as she did – You can ride this big lie bus. Um, She said on Sunday that Americans actually want abortion restrictions as evidenced by all of the times that abortion restrictions have lost at the ballot box. Anyway, she said, I'm proud to be a pro-life party, but we can win on this message. The American people are where they are, and they want to. They want common sense limitations. They want more access to adoption. We want to make sure that there's pregnancy crisis centers. These are things we can win on. Bitch, no, No, you you can't. can't. Bitch, no, you can't. You cannot. You can't. But keep trying. Go ahead and keep trying. Um, I think that all of these abortion votes and all of this discussion about abortion has exposed something that hasn't really been talked about a lot. And that is the utter weirdness of putting personal medical decisions up to a vote involving many people who will totally. never themselves have to make that decision. It's deeply weird. It's deeply weird. And it's not our well, business. And I think there are even people who are like uncomfortable morally with the concept of abortion, but 
also uncomfortably un- uncomfortable morally with the concept of making a decision about whether someone else can have an abortion. Right. And for me, the thing that I find so repellent about old Ramna Romney is that nothing they say is like rooted in the truth. And I don't like that you can rely on like they, they I mean, of course, nothing they say is rooted in the truth. But one minute it's like, well, at 15 weeks, a fetus can feel pain. And then it's like, OK, but six weeks. But OK, let's go back to 15 weeks and six weeks isn't playing that well. So like, let's go back to 15 weeks. And like, it's just I think it's just actually incredibly cruel. Mm-hmm. Like as a party, there are people who look up to them and are genuinely, you know, people who don't fucking troll uh, Twitter and cable news all day. And they're like, oh, you know what? I, this is my person. I'm a Republican. And I look to them and they're just uh, so full of lies and hypocrisy that it's just I think it's like actually reached a level of cruelty mm-hmm. that they're just trying to confuse their electorate so much that they're like, nah, it's OK. We'll just do whatever we'll do whatever they tell us. And I just, uh, it really, that that really makes me mad. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's pretty wild to me that like, and again, this is something that is being exposed by all these votes and all this discussion about abortion. I think people who haven't thought that deeply about it are now thinking deeply about it. Mm-hmm. And it is also deeply weird that a, a fetus's theoretical pain, hypothetical pain, matters more than a real woman's real, actual pain right. that you can see and she can tell you about. Like, childbirth is not, not a, it's not a massage. It's uh, it's unpleasant. It hurts a lot. Pregnancy is not pleasant. Like, why does the pain of nine months of pregnancy matter less than a hypothetical momentary pain? Like, it, it right. is, is so ridiculous. And also, I want to point out that 15 weeks is based on Nothing. It's based on polling. It's not based on medicine. It's not based on like any point in the pregnancy where it's like, okay, well, this is this is something that happens at 15 weeks. Like, oh, it can, you know, it it can like do sign language. No, 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 no. It's based on polling. Because 15 sounds like a nice round number. And also like... It sounds reasonable. And also like if you've ever, if you've ever been pregnant, you know, 15 weeks like doesn't mean anything either. It's like 12 Mm -hmm. weeks, six, like it doesn't, it's a meaningless number that is very cynically based on asking a bunch of people what they're comfortable doing to limit other people's bodies. Um, Let's talk about Ohio. Let's talk about Ohio. So... Almost immediately after issue one passed with 57 percent of the vote, the Republicans in the state of Ohio started just freaking the fuck out, just complete anti-democratic freaking the fuck out. Um, There were 27 Republicans who immediately signed a letter calling for Ohio to just ignore the Constitution of its state. Um, There were also four Republicans in Ohio that said they they were going to try to pass a law making it so that they could ignore the courts, that it was in charge of the the legislation's basically just like undoing (laughs) the whole concept of checks and balances. Um, And it was uh, there's a lot of chatter and and people saying they were going to take it to court and they were going to fight it. And and it was the legislature that had that got to decide what laws actually were on the books or not on the books when really it is clear Ohio's current six-week abortion ban is in direct conflict with the state constitution, which means that it cannot be a law anymore. There is no reality in which that's not true. Um, And I think this week it seems that Republicans in Ohio are finally just 
coming back down to earth. Um, They're like pumping the brakes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So basically pouring a little bit of cold water on the post-election butthurt was uh, (laughs) the Speaker of the Ohio House who was just like, no, this isn't serious. We can't do any of this. Like the Ohio voters voted for what what they voted for. We need to just like move on in our new reality. And uh, the governor also kind of alluded to something similar where it's like none of these wild none of these wild plans are going to fix anything um well and like Aaron, all of their plans essentially come down to like election denying yeah exactly <laughs> like, well like what if this it didn't wasn't happen? something well right this wasn't even something that passed with 50 percent i mean it was a near super majority of people mm-hmm. democrats and republicans who mm-hmm. voted for this mm-hmm. last week and so for the republicans to come out and be like huh, no 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 like just stop trying to make fetch happen it's like a sea regina george is in there right like just let people, they told you what they wanted, like get on the train. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think um, I also learned today uh, that even if they took out the three most heavily populated counties in Ohio, so like mm-hmm. the, the major cities in Ohio, issue one still would have won. Yes. Yes. Like <laughs> it's, it was a wide, like wide vote. You know, it was, the, it was a resounding victory. And also it's like a losing issue for Republicans in Ohio specifically. And I think that more politically savvy people are like, we probably shouldn't keep this on the ballot in 2024 if we right. want any Republicans to win it all. Well, of course it is on the ballot. Sherrod Brown is up for re-election right. and he's going to be running against people who would ban abortion, vote to ban abortion if they became senators. And so right. it's on the ballot, whether or not they like it, whether or not they want it to be. Now, Alyssa, I had a I had a kind of paranoid thought when I was reading about all of this Ohio back and forth. Okay. So we have this crazy fringe, you know, the 27 yep. who signed the letter, the four that were like, the courts aren't real. Um, <laughs> we have those crazy people. And then we have people who are also like fringy, like Governor Mike DeWine, the Speaker of the House, who are like, whoa, 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 guys, we got to just the will of the people, we got to move on. And it felt almost like a bad cop, good cop communication strategy. Do you think that we're going to see Republicans trying to finesse themselves into seeming moderate by tailing truly bonkers ideas by being like, no, 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 we're reasonable? Yeah, Erin, I think it's less a strategy and more a tactic. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it is so cynical because it's literally just meant to trick people. Mm -hmm. Like it's only meant to trick people. So if you have, it's something that that Sherrod Brown will face, right? He'll have some real nut nuts that run against him. And then some people who are actually like nut nut in their dark chocolate core, but are going to pretend, oh, no, 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 we see. I am I am for abortion, sort of. Like, he's crazy. I don't think no one should ever have an abortion. I just think you should have to hop on one leg, you know, down 10 miles up the hill of snow to be able to get an abortion. Like, you should get one, like, if you can figure out how to get one. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that it is, we see it with uh, Romney, Romney, Ronnie at the RNC. They're all trying to find ways to just trick people. Fundamentally, if you are a Republican except for maybe like Lisa Mur- like Lisa Murkowski I'm going to put her up in a corner. I don't I feel like she gets to have her separate closet because she's actually better on this stuff than right. most people. Right. She would never the- fight during a committee meeting. She wouldn't do that. Yeah. She would understand that the Sean O'Briens of Medford are not people you mess with. <laughs> but like 
But but in general, like they're just lying to the people that they're seeking to represent. And I think it is appalling. And I think everyone needs to be really just look, you and I will we will be deep in the archives for 2024, pulling out every loony statement that any person who is trying to appear moderate now will will try to uh, try to put forward. Yeah, really super convenient changes of heart uh, Mm -hmm. are something that you should always be skeptical of. The king of which? Donald fucking Trump. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, he is 100% in the 90s. He was all like, tattoo abortion across my chest. For it. Into it. Then he was like, I'm the one who flipped Roe. And now he's like, gas break, gas break. And like, well, you know, he's trying to avoid talking about it at all cost. And so he is, as the front runner of the Republicans, he is actually the prime fucking example of the problem that they will face. I mean, in a way, it's all kind of like a Kevin McCarthy tactic, right? You run up to somebody, elbow him in the back, and then be like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. (laughs) How did this happen? It's like... If I did do it. Yeah, if I did it. Uh, Let's move on to Wisconsin um, and then tie this one up in a bow. So after April's state Supreme Court election that flipped the Wisconsin state Supreme Court from conservative to 4-3 liberal control, state Republicans have really been trying some dirty tricks. And I think that this gets buried a lot because it's, you know— Wisconsin. It's not, you know, it's not California. It's Wisconsin, and it's also, it's a little complicated to it's understand exactly complicated, what they're doing. Exactly. The the history of GOP fuckery in Wisconsin is rich and complex. Like, it mm-hmm. could be its own prestige drama because it is so <laughs> deeply embedded in that state. It's become sort of this laboratory of, like, anti-democratic and, and small-D democratic uh, fuckery and uh, and attempts at, like, conservative, conservative experimentation on a large scale that almost always blow up in people's faces. Uh, They've been cutting teacher salaries. They've been gutting the crown jewel state college system. They've been Mm -hmm. doing all of this stuff before it was cool in places like Florida now. So that's kind of a a quick and dirty Wisconsin political recent history. So Republicans have been doing some dirty tricks again. So we mentioned this briefly on the show, uh, but Republican State Speaker of the House Robin Voss, who is a world-class piece of shit. He's been threatening to impeach Judge Janet Protosiewicz on the grounds that during the campaign, she was open about her personal views on abortion and redistricting. Mm -hmm. So Voss, uh, who is a, again, dastardly little snake, he impaneled a group of three conservative former state Supreme Court justices to get their opinions on how and whether he could move forward with this impeachment for crimes that only happened in his imagination. And once that happened, liberal watchdog group American Oversight filed a lawsuit to access the documents regarding this panel and Voss's efforts. And so far, two of the three judges involved turned their documents over as ordered. Um, One of the justices advised Voss that it was a really stupid idea. Basically, um, in writing, he was like, this is dumb. I'm I'm paraphrasing. And the other said that he verbally told Voss that it was a bad idea to try to impeach Judge Janet Protosiewicz for doing nothing but embarrassing uh, Republicans in the state of Wisconsin. But one of the judges, Patience, Pat 
Rogensack. That's a real patience. Pat Rogensack. Pat's refused to comply. She's turned over none of her documents and she's refused to say what advice she gave Voss. And PBS Wisconsin wrote thusly, when American Oversight attempted to serve Rogensack with a subpoena at her home, an elderly man who answered the door (laughs) said he didn't know anyone by that name and closed the door. (laughs) Yeah. Vibes. Good. What a good, that's some Scooby-Doo level plotting. Um, and then on November 10th, a judge in Wisconsin ordered Rogensack to turn over her documents and she's got 30 days to comply. Yeah. Aaron, what a wreck. It's it's a real wreck, but it looks like, I mean, the chickens are coming home to roost. This is why I read local news. Because otherwise, how are you going to find out about Pat Rogensack's fake subpoena dodge. It's it's just too funny. Um, and then just, again, to bring it full circle, uh, remember how Kaylee McEnany was like, let's give fetuses tax fetuses credits? tax credits. Well, Wisconsin Republicans are actually trying to do that. On November 8th, the state Senate passed a bill that would declare fetuses people for the purposes of taxes. Um, and that's definitely going to be vetoed by the state's Democratic governor. Um, Alyssa, the moral of the story as Republicans flounder around to come up with a new abortion strategy, no idea is too stupid. Apparently not. No. No idea is too stupid. Because, Aaron, can I just ask you, how do you file for the tax credit? I, that would Is it a sonogram picture? Is it a retroactive? Like, that's the other thing. Like, ask two questions and every one of their ideas falls apart. <laughs> yeah. Like, how early is this available? Like, if you have a chemical pregnancy, so you get a positive pregnancy test when you're like- Right. For, right before your period, but then you get your do period you upload your clear blue positive yeah. onto a website? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they've thought this all through. They've definitely, they haven't Feels thought like it not. But not thinking things through has never stopped Republicans before, and it's definitely not going to stop them now. Nope. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> five stars no five comment. 100% great that's the type that's my favorite sport the new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit all things that are absolutely essential in a legging essential uh, I love these leggings they are because you know like not everybody's the same you know so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty so I size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring. And I don't show show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be 
dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultramarathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to fiori.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Hysteria is brought to you by ZocDoc. Do you love to treat yourself? Maybe I you do. buy fancy coffee. I know everybody does, right? Yeah, come on. It's called a dopamine infusion. We do what we can it. when we can. Exactly. Sometimes you just need a little special little treat to boost you to get through the day. If you treat yourself to the top options other places, why settle when finding a doctor? It's your health after all. Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. Erin, let me tell you, I'm so lucky ZocDoc heard that my dermatologist was not taking my insurance anymore. I found a new dermatologist in a half hour on ZocDoc. Takes my insurance not far away. Got an appointment right away. That's something that would take like a good half day of sweaty phone work. Yeah. In a pre-ZocDoc era. You're just prostrating yourself to the poor receptionists that answer the call. And you're like, no. You're you're not- calling. You're on hold. You're giving them information. They're asking you. They're, they're framing their questions in ways that you don't quite understand because that's not how it's written on your insurance card. Totally. My group number? I don't know. <laughs> I don't bin number. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Zocdoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on Zocdoc is between just twenty-four and seventy-two hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to zocdoc.com/hysteria and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoc.com/hysteria. Zocdoc.com/hysteria. For over a hundred and thirty years. McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. And welcome back. This is Hysteria. This week, Chrissy Teigen partnered with Sister Song to host a roundtable discussion in her home on the impact of abortion bans, highlighting abortion stories, and reproductive health advocacy. It was a fascinating conversation with incredible people involved, including 
Chrissy Teigen, Monica Simpson, the executive director of Sister Song, Dr. Jamila Parrott, who is the president and CEO of Physicians for Reproductive Health, Kwajalein Jackson, the executive director of Feminist Women's Health Center, and Brianna McLennan, a Texas-based storyteller, among others. It was a fascinating conversation, and after that conversation wrapped up, I was able to sit down with Monica and Chrissy to talk more. All right, we're doing something a little bit different today, as you might notice. We are not in the Crooked Media Studios. <laughs> we are in a house, but not just any house, Chrissy Teigen's house. So why are we in Chrissy Teigen's house? Well, we're here to have a conversation about reproductive justice. Chrissy has partnered with Sister Song, a Southern-based organization that works to improve the reproductive lives of marginalized communities. And today, Chrissy and Sister Song's executive director, Monica Simpson, sitting right here, have brought together storytellers, physicians and advocates for a roundtable discussion about the impact of abortion bans, highlighting abortion stories, and reproductive health advocacy. So, Chrissy Fun Teigen. stuff. I know. Chrissy Woo, Teigen and Monica fun. Simpson, Very welcome exciting. to Hysteria. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy both of you are here. So, Monica, mm -hmm. during the roundtable discussion, you talked about stories. What's your story, the importance mm -hmm. of stories? What is your story, and what is Sister Song's story? Yeah. Stories are so important. Um, as I said in the roundtable, one of the things that we start out with is this phrase, we all have a story to tell. We feel like it's one of the best ways to bring everyone into a space together for us all to be on the same page. And, you know, my story is complicated <laughs> in a lot of ways, but um, the short, very short version of, of, of my story is that, you know, the personal becomes political, right? I grew up in a small rural town in the South, um, in Union County, North Carolina, and I learned very early on. Um, I didn't have the language for it, but I experienced... Um, sexual assault at a very young age. I um, also experienced what um, sexism felt like and the, the the harms of patriarchy. Like I, I grew up in the black church and although I found so much liberation there, um, it's where I also met a lot of challenges growing up as well. Um, and I really learned very early on that, you know, my body wasn't really mine, right? It felt like everything else controlled my body, whether that was someone trying to take it or whether it was someone telling me what to do with it or what not to do with it. And so that was that's kind of like the running theme of my life, of me trying to find myself, but also find um, what it means for me to really have control over my own bodies and my own decisions of what I do with my body. Um, and I came out while I was an undergrad. I went to an historical black college, university in North Carolina, and I thought that was going to be a liberating experience. And it was one of the scariest experiences of my life. Um, and I saw and felt my own bodily autonomy, autonomy being threatened again, right, by just coming out and being my true self. And so I just kept having these compounding kind of experiences that led me towards this work that is that I now know is reproductive justice, right? Um, and I started doing work around LGBTQ liberation for a while. I did a lot of civil rights work. And in a lot of these different movements that I was in, I kept finding this... Um, stopping point where I had to check some part of my identity at the door. And what reproductive justice allowed me to do was bring my full self into the work and all of my stories and all of my experiences. Um, and so that's the, that's the broader version. The, the, the more direct version is that I helped a friend of mine, you know, have an abortion when I was in college. She came to me because I had just come out and she's like, I don't want to have this baby. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean you don't want to have a baby? It's okay. We're black girls. We, we can have our babies, right? That's what we do. And she said that she didn't want that. 
And I felt myself being convicted immediately around how could I have this big, broad vision of bodily autonomy as this new out queer person, but could not understand her lived experience at the time. And so all of that came together to, to drive me towards this movement of reproductive justice. And I started working for Sister Song in 2010, but Sister Song has been in existence since 1997. And this organization started as this collective of women of color from many different cultures and races and experiences, really building their collective power to move our work that was more rooted in our own experiences and our own leadership. And so Sister Song, we're the National Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective, and our work has been around building power in, you know, in these communities that have historically been pushed to the margins um, for them to advocate powerfully, you know, for their rights um, and their human rights, I should say, um, to make their own decisions about their bodies and their families and their futures. So that's the very short version. I think we'll have some more time to talk about the true definition of reproductive justice, but that's that's who I am. And that's a little bit about who Sister Song is. Thank you very much. Chrissy, what's the story of how this roundtable discussion came to be in your home? Oh, goodness. Well, I've been a longtime admirer of Sister Song and Monica. Um, they do incredible work out there really in the communities, um, helping women navigate through the process and learning experience that is reproductive health care. Um, I was very outspoken about how little I knew about my own reproductive health care. I walked into the IVF process um, and walked out of it knowing, honestly, just as little as I did. Mm. People will ask me about the process of it, the embryos, the this, that. I still am like confused about a lot of the things I did. Um, I'm still, uh, as I was, I went public saying that I didn't even know I had had an abortion um, when I had miscarried um, um, our 20-week-old uh, Jack. So. Uh, it was hard going public with something like that and being publicly ignorant on your own body um, and not knowing what had to happen in order to save your life. Uh, and then to publicly come out and say that I did not know what was happening. I didn't know there was a term for it. I did not know it was abortion. Nobody said the word. Nobody, not a nurse, not a, you know, nobody in the room. Um, it all happened so fast. And then when R.V. Wade was overturned and I had said to John, that is so sad for those people, he said, we are those people. You had an abortion. And that was the first time that it had ever clicked for me. Um, and it wasn't even a click. It was just that was the first time I'd ever heard that what we went through was an abortion. And um, so I was happy to be the publicly ignorant one to to be the face of confusion because I don't believe that um, it's talked about enough and I don't believe that there are faces put to these causes enough. Um, and that's why the work that you guys do is so admirable and that's why I wanted to have these incredible women at my home, um, on my couch, um, being able to share stories and and uh, get to put faces to, to, to something that's so real and impactful and it affects so many women, and I know it just by the amount of times I've gone to the grocery store and how many people come up to me and have a story to share. So yeah. it's been a really wonderful day and experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know that ignorance you talk about, it feels very deliberate. 
I think we all go through it individually where we're like, wait a minute. I wasn't educated about this. Or like, yes. this wasn't talked about. So yeah. real. Why is this pushed underneath? You know, why, why is this something that we're told not to discuss with each other? And I feel like women are talking to each other now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're seeing it at yes. the ballot box. And we're seeing it across the country, even Absolutely. in places where we wouldn't expect it, like the South. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit, Monica, about mm-hmm. the state of reproductive rights in the South? And- how have reproductive justice advocates directly impacted some of the ballot results that we've seen? Yeah, um, it's it's a crazy time, you know, across the board. But in the South, um, we've been severely under attack um, for quite some time. And I think that it's important to note, you know, when our opposition really started to make take a laser focus on the South was around that 2010 time, right? And we saw hundreds upon hundreds of anti-abortion pieces of legislation floating into our state houses from personhood laws to trap laws. Like, I mean, they were throwing everything, Mm -hmm. right? I remember that. I remember when Mississippi tried personhood at first and we were all like, you are nuts. Yeah. Yeah, And it failed. Yes. But they kept trying. They kept trying. It failed. Personhood failed, but their voter ID bill passed, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's important to name just like the complexities of that um, because it's interesting from the Mississippi standpoint to think about personhood, you know, all the, the resources and the energy that went into defeating personhood, but that same energy didn't go into fighting for their voter ID work, mm-hmm. which is what reproductive justice advocates were really fighting for. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks don't understand the importance of that. And so now we have this Dobbs decision that came down last year out of Mississippi, right? And we have to see how all of these things are connected. So I just had to make that quick note. But overarchingly in the South, right, we have we've seen the these, this, this crazy onslaught of, you know, anti-abortion legislation hitting our, you know, state houses. But we've also seen that the South is where we have an expanded Medicaid. Mm-hmm. We've seen that the South is where um, maternal mortality is on the rise the most. We know the stats now that Black women are dying at a rate four to five, 12 times higher when we look in some places, you know, than white women in this country. That is impacting the South. Mm-hmm. We know that um, income inequality is also a major barrier in the South. And so when you look at that, it is like, Fertile ground, right, mm-hmm. for our opposition to really take a focus on this region. Mm-hmm. And so we now know that out of like the 16, I believe it's the 16 states across the South, right, 10 of them have enacted like these abortion bans, right? Because they went from state legislation to the legal battles, right? And they went into these legal battles. And now even in Georgia, we're still fighting our own six-week ban, right? Um, Sister Song's one of the lead plaintiffs in this case. And we are like in a constant uphill fight to get this reversed. But that's where we at, right? They have, they, they, They've moved in such a way that they've taken over our state houses. They've moved in such a way that they've positioned themselves on the legal front to be able to move these bans in the ways that they are. And they're doing that in a landscape and in a region that is already dealing with so much by not having enough resources. So the South is um, where the fight is the greatest, in my humble opinion, as a a person that's been living and working in the South their entire life. But it's also important for us to understand what's happening in the South so that we can see how that can be, um, how that can impact the way that the rest of the country is going to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing in places uh, like Texas that a lot of times the story Mm -hmm. that that is the most effective is the story that women tell about their experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the women that are talking about their experiences, they're women who are having like 
20 plus week abortions under tragic circumstances. And Chrissy, you mentioned that you underwent a, a tragedy mm-hmm. in your family. How do you how do you talk about it so candidly and publicly and, and remain healthy and supported? It's hard to, honestly, and not because of the memories that it drums up. It's hard because I have very few memories of it. Um, I've always been the kind of person that has blocked out um, a lot of time around trauma of any kind, whether it was childhood or um, or just three years ago. So I, I, I sometimes block off the year before and the year after. So for me, there's like people that I've met and huge decisions that I've made and then that, that are from that time. And I'm so unaware of them until I'm really out of that hole. And I've done like so much therapy work, whether it's ketamine treatments or, you know, in-person therapy work one-on-one with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like physically hard to recall those memories. It's, it's hard to recall that those days. Um, sometimes I'll get a DM from somebody and it'll be a new fresh DM or something. And then I'll see that the last DM they sent was maybe a response to a video that I had posted on the day of the miscarriage or, or the abortion. Mm-hmm. The abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's me and I'll, I'll see, I'll watch the video and I, it's like not me. It's like an out of body experience. Mm. I'm in the hospital. I am totally unaware that anything bad is going to happen because honestly, I, I had no idea it was going to go the way it did. I thought I was going to the hospital. I was bleeding a little bit, mm-hmm. but I was bleeding a little bit for a long time. And I didn't realize that everyone around me was really nervous. Um, I didn't pick up on that for some reason at the house for a while. Um, and so I was doing these silly, stupid videos in the hospital bed, like just gossiping and talking shit and... Mm-hmm. and uh, just having no idea what was about to come. So it was weird. It's weird now going back to those videos and seeing them because they're obviously removed in archives unless somebody like has them in the DMs and they once responded to you. Um, so it's weird watching those and seeing like the state of mind I was in. Um, but there's trauma to me, no matter what you say uh, mm. these days, no matter what you speak on, no matter which way you go, there uh, there's going to be... Uh, so many people that disagree with you no matter where you stand. So for me, it's not like scary or difficult to stand up for something because in this in this realm, I'm okay pissing off the right people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's yeah. it, it, mm-hmm. that to me is okay. Um, uh, it's harder in, in different areas of life, but um, yeah, it was just really weird to have to navigate when to talk about it, but it was really natural because it had RV Wade had been overturned, and then I made that comment to John, and then all of a sudden, boom, I was like, mm. We had an abortion? Like that, it blew mm. my mind. So, um, to relive it, like, is, is really odd. I've, I, I don't mind speaking about it, it doesn't make me anxious or, or it's just feels because it still feels so unreal and out of body. Mm. If anything, the things that I sit on are regrets that I have from that day. Um, because it all happened so fast. Um, I wish I had, you know, taken a look longer, mm-hmm. wish I had held them longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, sorry, sorry. 
So, sorry. It's okay. It's so okay. that sticks with me. Yeah. Uh, but the comments and things aren't nearly, they don't get to me um, because I have way too many people that are uh, so inspired and open about, sorry, is this like the no, saddest no, podcast it's, no, it's ever? Not, it's not, it's not at all. Um, so uh, the, the stories I get to hear and the things that I do remember are really beautiful and big and whether it's like, you know, I don't remember trips that we took after it happened. Um, I remember my friends and John and everybody took me to Palm Springs, like just to get away, get out of the area and get out of the house. And I was at the grocery store and I think I was on so many different meds and stuff. I was on, but I was on like, you know, anti-anxiety stuff. And I just remember going to the grocery store and having a woman like just lay down flowers for me on that she had purchased already in my car and sorry wow it's okay it's okay so those memories for me are like they way outweigh any negativity i get from anybody um That's fine. any hate mm -hmm. uh any QAnon dumb conspiracy shit that you know it that's all so silly mm -hmm. my shit's real and our stories are real. And Absolutely. the women that were in there, their stories are real. So we want to put faces to this and we want people to know that, um, that this is where we stand. We're proud of it. I am, I am proud mm. and okay with supporting abortion mm. and giving people the lives they want to live for themselves. That is, it's an honor to be able to support that and to be able to support an organization like this. So... Thank you so much wow, for that sharing that. Wow, that was so that. sad. Sorry. No, thank you no, so much for sharing that. Sure. <laughs> it was really beautiful. That it was, was so It powerful. was really beautiful and honest because... Oh my God, that was so I think powerful. every single person, every single woman has experienced trauma. I can't speak for men. I'm not a man. I, <laughs> yeah. I deal with them as needed. Um, but I, I think it just kind of is a great testament to how trauma lives next door to everything else in our everything. brains. Every memory we have, the trauma lives there and kind of moves amongst us. We're never purely in a state uh, rarely purely in a state of happiness or sadness mm. because everything like lives together and that's what it is mm. we're full humans and I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of laws meant to restrict our bodily autonomy deny the fact that we're full human beings that's right like you talk about a personhood amendment are women people legally yeah. I mean yeah. like in some states <laughs> no in some states no and you know after Dobbs was uh, was came down and Roe v. Wade was overturned, we finally started getting some stats about abortion in the U.S. And so allegedly, you know, you're Brett Kavanaugh or some fucker on the Supreme Court. <laughs> I was just like, ugh. Yeah, right. But like these people who consider themselves pro-life are pro-life, anti-abortion, are anti-abortion because they want to eliminate abortion. But you know what happened after Dobbs came down? Mm -hmm. The number of abortions in the U.S. went up. Yes. After Dobbs came down. So in states where abortion is illegal or highly restricted, like in Georgia, Ohio, my home state of Wisconsin, abortions went down, obviously. But in other states, California, New York, Connecticut, places where abortion rights are protected, um, abortions went way up. So yeah. they went up so much that they more than made up for the number that they went down in states where it's restricted. Mm -hmm. And this number also doesn't include people who self-medicate or self-manage their abortions. Right. So we don't, we don't know. Self-medicated. Yes. Yeah, 
Listen, I mean, look, we all have to do we what all, we have we to do. do. We do what we have to and do. And I think that the, it's important to note, too, when, when we saw these numbers rise, it's because when we did see the restrictions in these other states, people had to find those other places to go, mm-hmm. too. So it's like, it, it just, it gave us a really clear picture as to how important having access to abortion is in this country. And on that note, here's a great clip from the round table from abortion storyteller Kanaya. I also self-managed my abortion. I self-managed in May, so post dogs pretty recently. Um, I found out a week um, into my pregnancy, and I remember I was going through my finals. Mm. I was like panicking. Yeah. Um, I started noticing changes in my body, mm-hmm. and I was very nauseated, and I was like, mm. okay, if I'm you know, doing the timing right, I could be pregnant. Mm. And I remember I took my pregnancy test and I remember I also had a final that day. Like it was oh, like, wow. do wow. do that night. And Ooh. I was like, stressed, like, oh, I was like, well, like, it's most likely gonna be negative. So you're gonna be fine. And I remember taking the pregnancy test and it came out positive. And I was mm. like, you have 10 minutes to panic and then you have to do this final. Yeah. Um, and I remember like looking for like clinics, looking for like appointments in the DMV area. And it was really hard to find um, appointments. A lot of them were a month out. And I was like, "Um, I want to get this done now. I don't want to wait a month. Um, I was looking through like my options. I was like, if you want to terminate the pregnancy, if you want to go through the pregnancy, what are your options? Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really hard because I couldn't get an appointment. I was looking not only in DC, but Maryland and Virginia and Mm -hmm. still couldn't find an appointment. Um, and I think a lot of times people are like, oh, like, you're in the DMV. You're not in Kentucky. So, like, mm. you you should have, like, access. You should have these things. Like, D.C. is so, like, liberal and everything. And just going through the process, I was like, this is not easy. Um, so I remember I ended up reaching out to people that I knew, like, in the movement. And I got connected to retestify. And they supported me through my abortion. They helped me. Um to go through my abortion. They helped me after my abortion. And obviously I'm still with them today. And I think a lot of times there is a lot of stigma. Mm -hmm. I remember like just getting post-abortion care in Maryland. There was a lot of stigma about like me having abortion, a lot of questions like, well, why did you want to do that? Or like a lot of people like saying like, oh, it's unsafe. And I would like, my OBGYN was like, oh, that's so unsafe. Like, why would you do that? Um, And I was like, actually it was very safe. And because it was my decision. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like like you were saying, um, I just didn't want to deal with protest stories. I didn't want yeah. a lot of people to know. I was, I'm still in college, but I was a junior in college at the time and I was hiding my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I was wearing like trench coats in the summertime oh, trying, to hide my, <laughs> trying to hide my pregnancy. And I just didn't want people to know and I didn't want to deal with protest stories. So I decided to self-manage mm-hmm. and I self-managed through um, the medication mm-hmm. and I took the Miffy and Miso and I felt relaxed and comfortable in my home. I mm. remember I was eating like Cheetos and watching TV, yeah. um, watching a lot of like shows and my yeah. friends like would stop by and people would call me. And yeah, it was just a very, um, it was a very like unique experience mm-hmm. because just doing this work, a lot of times I never thought like, oh, like I was going to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I like decided to have an abortion, I was like, okay, now I'm more educated in this mm-hmm. movement. And now 
I know it too. I can help others. Because I think a lot of times it's a lack of education. As we're continuing to see the impact of what the Dobbs decision has done on our communities. I remember when the decision came down, um, I was with my family, but then the, the next day I was like out of getting my hair done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was in the hair salon and I'm talking to folks because, you know, that's where I get all of my research done in my own community is that you go to the hair salon. And um, what I got from folks and that people were angry and they were scared. Um, but people were understanding how deep this thing was, mm -hmm. right? It became a moment where people just wasn't thinking about abortion as like abortion, the topic. They actually, were, they were immediately making the connection as to how this impacts every other decision in their life. They're like, well, man, if they're going to come down with this type of decision, what's next? You know, what else are they going to take from us? They really started to see those connections. And I thought that that was, although we were, we were having this experience in such a trying and hard time, for people to see how deeply interconnected this was to our democracy and to our <laughs> ability to think about what's next, you know? was so, so, was so powerful to see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, huh, pro-lifers, anti-choicers, you didn't reduce the number of abortions. But what they did do is make mm -hmm. life more difficult for abortion providers, advocates, and patients. So, mm -hmm. Monica, from your perspective, how yeah. have you seen uh, providers' lives be impacted by the onslaught of yeah. patients? How have you seen that play out? Yeah, I think um, Dr. Jamila Parrott, who was one of the folks on the, the roundtable with us today, um, she's such a powerful um, uh, leader, and I learned so much from her. And one of the things I was able to, to learn from her work and what she does is that this has put physicians and service providers in such a hard position, right? Our doctors, our folks who are giving us care should be able to just give us care. Mm -hmm. They should be able to see us walk into that room and assess what our needs are, give us what we need to be able to continue to live our most healthy lives. That's not what these folks are up against right now. They're up against, if I give this medication now, is this going to potentially come back on me? Is this something that folks can now walk out of here and say, you know, and create some negative narrative? Like they are, they're dealing with so much fear and anxiety and just like pressure of wanting to make sure that they're not going to put their patient in further damage or to put themselves in harm's way, right? And jeopardize their own license and their ability to do their work. And that's not the type of pressure that we want any service provider to be under when they're giving Especially care. Especially somebody who's like up in there, you know? Please. <laughs> you I know, want them like, to be their most mellow, Anybody who's handling self. my reproductive organs. Yes. Want them to be in a Handle good mental with care. state. Absolutely. Handle with care. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Chrissy, you mentioned during the roundtable that you have, you know, you and your friends are very free and open talking about just your own reproductive health journeys. Have you, like, noticed, and because this happened in my group chat, um, after Dobbs, that people kind of slowly, people who you wouldn't think would slowly realize this, slowly realized just how much abortion restrictions could impact them personally. I mean, absolutely. I have many a girlfriend who has had an abortion. I have taken um, a, a few girlfriends um, along for the journey of it. Um, I feel like they're worried that Pregnancy care and abortion care, um, those are supposed to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of my friends don't have children yet. They are worried enough about, 
is the vaccine going to cause me not to be able to have kids? Like they they already have People these conspiracy theories it's of, true. of, you know, what's going to happen um, to their bodies on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, I got three COVID shots when I was pregnant, by the way. <laughs> I don't mean and my too. daughter is oh, like, doing great. If I anything, like, possibly I know. a superhero. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, get a big needle. Just go right in there. Yeah. For yeah, yeah. Yeah. Try to try to get her too. like, I mean, yeah, I, I was totally free with it. Um, but, but I will, uh, it seems so here in the bubble that we live in. Cause honestly, I, I live in Beverly Hills. It seems so insane to a lot of my friends and a lot of people that I'm around that, um, we would ever not have access to it. And honestly, what was said at the panel was that rich assholes aren't always going to have access. They're always going to have access to it, um, mm -hmm. in one way or another, um, it's only gonna hurt, it's it's gonna hurt a lot of different groups of people. Mm -hmm. But I will say it's it it seems so untouchable mm -hmm. and unreal mm -hmm. in this community. And it, it, it um, which is why I love to have you come in and give us the point of view of there's so many women from the South that are able to tell us and uh, that this is a very real issue there. Mm -hmm. And this is of course, it's a real issue across America. It's going to be an issue here. We're, I, I do feel like we feel so safe over here. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't matter. Right. When and, you're an empathetic person right. that, yeah. that feels for, and we're, that's able to feel for other women. Are we actually safe, though? Like, what if, you're on mean, a, what if you're pregnant and you're on a trip in Texas? Absolutely. And you have a, a right. horrible, you experience bleeding and you go to the uh, ER and they're mm -hmm. like, we can't do anything until you're septic. And so you have yeah. to wait until you're septic. And then you have, they have to give you a hysterectomy because they yeah. couldn't just do the thing. I yeah. mean, it's, I, I think I agree that we, that people in California, New York, Connecticut, Minnesota, Michigan, places that have protective mm -hmm. abortion laws are in a better spot than somebody who lives in like Mississippi where there is no abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, I think it's hitting a lot of women. Like this is, no, this is everybody. This mm -hmm. is everybody, it including is me. And also Dr. Jamila Parrott brought this up during the round table. And here's a quick clip of her speaking. These bans are not impacting communities equitably. That's correct. And so we know so that real. some folks are bearing the brunt of these restrictions. Mm -hmm. Wealthy people, resource people will always have abortions. Mm -hmm. They've always had it, whether it was illegal or not. They've always had it, whether it was safe for them and unsafe for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But folks with lower resources, mm -hmm. folks who are young people, mm -hmm. uh, those who are immigrants, undocumented people who cannot travel oftentimes, right. even within the state, much less out of the state, right. LGBTQ folks, folks living in rural communities, yes. feel the brunt of these restrictions because we are already marginalized from healthcare systems more broadly. That's so when right. we think about the impact of these bans, who is paying the price, then we know that it's always going to be those who are struggling, those mm -hmm. who have less resources that are really mm -hmm. paying the price. Um, Monica, I would love to hear your experience witnessing how this has impacted patients who have to travel further, take more time off work. How does it look from, from their perspective? I mean, it's, it's really, really sad when I have conversations with um, my my colleagues and my comrades who are running these clinics, a lot of them independent clinics um, in these states like Georgia and Mississippi and places and literally having to turn people away, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
no one prepares you for that type of feeling yeah. in this work. We didn't come into this work to have to have that type of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is putting people into some pretty scary positions because, again, we all have a story to tell and everyone's coming in to get the care that they need with a different story. And some of those stories, unfortunately, are not are not good stories, right? We're not thinking about how this is impacting people who are dealing with, you know, domestic violence issues. We're not thinking about how this is, you know, impacting young people. We're not thinking about how this is impacting, you know, folks who are already struggling to to take care of the family that they already have. Like this is putting people in a very scary position. And we know what happens with folks when we put them in those scary positions. It pushes people to make very drastic and sometimes dangerous decisions for themselves. Mm And that is the thing that we're trying our best to alleviate. And we're trying to create as many pathways to get people the care that they need so that folks are not putting themselves in harm's way. We have to think about what was happening to people pre-Roe v. Wade, right? Um, again, for those folks who had the access and the privilege and the means, you know, whether it was safe or safe or unsafe or legal or not legal, they still had ways to get what they needed. But that wasn't the case for everybody, in particular folks living in the South or folks who have historically been pushed to the margins. And so those folks were left to very scary places, right? And we know we lost a lot of people. Mm-hmm. People literally lost their lives, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what people are up against. And then you're also putting people up against, like, it's almost like forced pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? And that is just something to name in this moment. Like, you're forcing people to get pregnant. You're forcing them to have a child. And you're forcing people, like, speaking from a Black woman's experience, you know, I don't have a kid yet. I'm still con- contemplating that in this world. And I'm thinking about, like, okay. I know everything I know because of the work that I do. And on top of that, I know that Black women are also experiencing, you know, um, maternal mortality rates higher, right? That's a scary thing to think about. And then on top of that, you know, Black women are only making 63, 64 cents on a dollar. And then we don't have, you know, the care that we need in terms of, like, getting paid for the work. I mean, it just, it just, and then on top of that, we have to deal with, the, you know, the fear of, like, having a little Black kid and then sending them out into the world and the world taking them. I mean, there's just so much, right, yeah. for people to think about when, when even contemplating motherhood. And I tell people, or parenthood, and I tell people all the time, like, choosing to be a parent, choosing Choosing to be a mother at this time, it is the most revolutionary thing that you can do because you are choosing to do so in in a world and at a time where all the odds are against us in so many ways. Uh So that's what folks are up against, right? I mean, this is one of the most major decisions anybody will make in their life. And now you're making it even more complicated and hard by putting these restrictions or continuing to stigmatize or continuing to just put more barriers in place for people um, as opposed to creating a world where healthcare. And access to healthcare is our human right. And it does sometimes seem like watching an own goal. Like a lot of these problems are like, we created a society where it is very difficult for choosing to have a child to be an economically sound decision. Right. And we are not taking, the people that are in charge of, the people that are rolling back abortion access are the same people that are doing jack squat to make it a, an easier decision to have a child. Um, but let's talk a little bit about fear before I let you two wonderful ladies go. So That sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> love it. We love it. Um, so opponents of reproductive justice in a lot of cases kind of govern with fear. Like a good example of that is SB8 in Texas, that law where it's like, there's a bounty on anybody who helps anybody get an abortion. Um, there haven't been that many lawsuits filed under SB8, but the fear 
of getting sued under SBA is enough. Mm -hmm. So it's like Napster, remember? Just downloading that song. I remember Napster. I had Napster. It was like you wouldn't download a car. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just incriminate myself because I told people that I had Napster. You wouldn't download an abortion. Um, but, but, you know, during the panel, we saw a lot of people just walking without fear Mm -hmm. and Chrissy and Monica, this question Mm -hmm. is for both of you. How do you push past the fear that they are trying to enforce on Mm -hmm. us during this time? Mm. You know what? I'm, I decided in thinking, um, when you were speaking on the last question and the question Mm -hmm. before that, I decided I'm like, I'm way too optimistic. Actually, Mm. I don't have a lot of fear. Um, and also I'm kind of, even when it came to Trump getting elected, remember that like Chappelle skit where it was like the white family was at home. They're like, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Like, no, 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 no. I was that kind of person with RV Wade. I I mean, like I, I was, I just did not think it was a possibility. Mm. I, I, which is so weird because I've been let down so many times in life. You'd think I'd be such a pessimist and like, but with this stuff, I live optimistically and I really have so much hope um, for the future of it. Mm-hmm. Fear wise, I I don't I honestly haven't thought about it. Mm. That's real though. Yeah. I, I mean sometimes you got to. Like yeah. you, you just you don't want to like you jump with your eyes closed and yeah, you're like, I hope the it. parachute opens. It's yeah. gonna be fine. I live in fear of other people that don't have the privilege that I have. That's real. I'm going to be okay. Um, and it, it to know other people wouldn't be okay in the same circumstances. So I feel, I feel for that. And yeah, yeah sorry. No, yeah, that's, no real. that's so real. How do you push past the fear or the intimidation that they try to make you feel? You know, what's interesting. I think I'm going to answer this question. Maybe it may, it may seem weird to folks. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not scared because, you know, I'm a revolutionary at heart. So I'm just like, it is my duty to fight for my freedom. Mm-hmm. That's what Asada Shakur told me. Um, <laughs> but um, how I get past this is that I focus on the fear that they have, our opposition. Our opposition is scared as hell. Uh-huh. They are scared of losing power. They are scared of not having access to what they normally have access to. They understand and they know that this country is becoming more and more and more majority people of color. Uh And so I say all the time that this fight for abortion access is a fight against white supremacy. That's what I focus on, right? And that's what makes me not scared is because I focus on their fear and I remind them in every action that I do that you're actually scared of us. You are scared of us continuing to build our power, continuing to work collectively, continuing to have the babies that we want to have, Right, because if we're if we're clear about it, back in the day, they they was calling us out because we had too many babies. Yeah, I remember that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's it's sad to me. So it, it's the it's the hypocrisy that um that 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 gives me laughter sometimes because I'm just like y'all are really trying it. Mm-hmm. You're trying it really really hard. But who's really scared in this scenario? It's y'all. Mm-hmm. And so that's what actually keeps me doing this work. And I think it's important, even with the roundtable that we did and, um, you know, Chrissy helping to co-create this space with us, we were very intentional about making sure that we lifted up the voices of people of color, of Black women, right, on this panel. Because the other thing that we're also trying to shift in this conversation um, is that they don't, there's a fear that 
we're not going to talk about these issues enough as people of color because we've been, I mean, these have been such taboo subjects. I mean, they have they've used this particular issue in particular and everything around sex and bodies and stuff to be a wedge issue in our communities. And we are fighting back against that every single day. Reproductive justice gave us a movement to do that. Um, but that's really what this is about for me. And so the more that we shift the, the faces and the voices of this issue right now, it is critical for us to do that. And this is not to say that white allies and our and folks who have been doing this work for a long time should not be in this fight. We need everybody in this fight. But in terms of like who needs to be leading the narratives right now and really the fight are those folks who we know that they're trying to to bring down anyway. And so the more that we put that, more the more we flip that script, so to speak, mm-hmm. the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people closest to the harm are the ones that should be leading the movement. Absolutely. I agree. All right, Monica Simpson and Chrissy Teigen, thank you so much for this conversation. And Chrissy, thank, thank you. you for organizing with Monica. Happy this to. Wonderful roundtable. So happy to. I would thank like you. to have both of you back again. This was really, really interesting I'd be and honored. informative and lovely. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Do you want in on a secret that high-performance marketing teams use to drive ROI? AdRoll gives your business the marketing edge you need to make hitting your goals easier while saving time. AdRoll optimizes ad campaigns across display, native, and social media channels all in one place. Deduplicate conversion attribution across channels and even trigger emails based on user interactions. Sign up at adroll.com ROI to join the club. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Welcome back. This is Hysteria, the podcast for people who know that Donald Trump learned the word vermin from Stephen Miller. He's never used that word before in his life. Ever. He couldn't spell it if he needed to. No, I don't think, I think it had to probably be explained to him. And he was like, oh, I like that one. That's such a a Millerism. Such a Millerism. I'm going to put that in my notes app. Yeah. Before we get to Sandy Petty, some announcements for the class. The holidays are coming up. It's time to get festive, whether you like it or not. We and like I it. like it. We, we like, like it. it. <laughs> to help you get the holiday vibes going, the Crooked Store has brand new goodies to deck out your tree and wrap under it. This summer's best-selling tea has got a winter makeover. Cuddle up with cozy new sweatshirts and designs you already love. Head to crooked.com store to shop now. 
You guys know about Karyuma shoes. They're cool, they're ethically made, and you can actually walk around in them without having to take embarrassing little breaks. And I'm wearing them right now, which is oh. something that you you probably didn't know about them, but I, I am. I'm wearing I didn't. them right now. Crooked just released a love it or leave it sneaker. They come in pink and black and have really fun L.A. inspired designs. Also, a portion of the proceeds from every pair sold is donated to VSA's Every Last Vote Fund. Crooked's last collaboration with Karayuma sold out super quickly, so make sure to snag a pair while you can. Again, just head to crooked.com slash store. All right, Alyssa, supersize Sandy Petty because it's just me and you. We can mm-hmm. do cash. We can Kay. do cash. Okay. Um, I want to start because I feel like I feel like you and I both have a lot to say on this. Okay. Um, I, this is both Sanity Corner and I Feel Petty. It's petty because when I first saw it, I was like, Gah, I hate this and it makes me mad. Okay. But it's Sanity Corner because everybody had the same reaction to me and now it's being relentlessly mocked. And I am talking, of course, about Jeff Bezos' Ugh. and Lauren Sanchez's <laughs> Vogue photo shoot and relentlessly taint-licking puff piece that went along with it. Um, it is, I, it was all over Instagram earlier this week. The pictures are taken by Annie Leibovitz, mm. which is crazy. I guess she really does need money. Um, it's a Western-themed photo shoot. Uh, I don't know why. It's a Western-themed photo shoot. Does Jeff Bezos believe himself to be a cowboy? Aaron, the two of them in the pickup truck, which is clearly supposed to be like an old pickup truck, as if they're real people or like rugged and sexy, like no to both. (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely hard no from me. Uh, it's giving. Uh, do you remember Gadzooks, the mall store? Of course, it's giving. Ah, like, you're there'd totally be like a, right. A micro trend of like, oh, we're dressing in cowboy wear in the spring of 1999, and like that would be a photo that accompanied it. And it's just, it was. I mean, it made me think, Vogue. What are you doing? Like, honestly, know. like, what? How is that? Here's my thing. If you're still a, a a magazine, you know, one you can pick up and buy at the store, is that what brings people to buy your magazine? Like, it seems so uninteresting to me. Do you know like what it, I mean? I feel like it's what gets people like Jeff Bezos, whose company controls a lot of advertising dollars, yeah. to you know what, buy Aaron? advertising space in a magazine. I'm such a... I'm so Pollyanna. That didn't even occur, occur to me. <laughs> Honestly, it didn't occur to me. But yes, I mean, this isn't you're this correct. isn't the first. This isn't the first like aggressive fart sound that a Vogue property has, you know, committed a, a profile to. Do you remember when Vogue did a loving profile of Asma al Assad, Bashir al Assad's wife? I I do. I they tried do. to scrub it from the internet, which Streisand affected it. And now you can find it again. It's like de- a rose in the desert, and it's like she's. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. I'm going to say that if you are somebody who, like me, collects unfortunate clippings from mainstream publications who should know better, you should be taking screen grabs of this unfortunate photo collage and article because I can't guarantee that it's always going to be there. This seems like something that may one day be scrubbed. Yeah. Can I say something? Mm -hmm. If people, instead of people going to read this article of nonsense, do you know what I think they should do? 
Hmm. I think they should go read the absolutely terrific uh, tribute to Jezebel that you did for Rolling Stone, oh. which I'm saying here we're going to link in show notes because <laughs> it was such an important piece of history. And the it was, look, this was like my era. You know, when you were at Jezebel, I was at Vice. I just, I loved every every bit of it. And uh, so that's, that's much better than spending your time with Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez in their faux Yellowstone-themed Vogue shoot. I mean... Yahoo Entertainment, first of all, thank you for the compliments. Very kind. Um, <laughs> but second of all, uh, Yahoo Entertainment says that the shoot was not in a truck. It was in a van, which makes it funnier. So they're Scooby-Doo? They're, they're Scooby-Doo. Sco- Scooby-Don't. They are <laughs> Scooby-Don't. All right, Alyssa, what is your Sandy Petty this week? Oh, Aaron, I'm all Sandy because you know what? world's hard. The world is hard right now. And I, you know... I needed something to make me feel good. And I, last week, I think we talked about this, um, at the Country Music Awards, Tracy Chapman was actually the first black woman honored with a Country Music Award for Song of the Year because country music sensation, Luke Combs, who I had never heard of. (laughs) Sounds like a country music name. Covered it. And she... Aaron Fast Car, the name of the song that he uh, that he covered, came out in 1988. It was it was so core to my growing up. If you had not look, was I a white girl in a 1982 Toyota Celica driving around listening to that song, thinking applied to me? Yeah, I was. Every <laughs> song, Crossroads, Fast Car, Revolution, Baby, Can I Hold You? I mean, she is. So iconic, and it was so wonderful, one, that the CMAs honored her in that way, and then also just the resurgence of people. It feels a lot on TikTok to me, like people, when they had never heard of Stevie Nicks, and were like, yo, have you heard this landslide song, Silver Spring? This is dark. Oh, my (laughs) God. And now all of these, so it's incredible because what the other Sani component of it is, is that since 1988, tons of people have covered the song, and now people are finding the videos and posting them on TikTok. And like Chris Daughtry and Kelly Clarkson, like there are so many versions of it, but I really, I enjoyed it. And I mean, I know that I'm, I mean, I'm not like old. I was probably born an old soul, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe I'm just boring. But I don't listen to tons of modern music, but I do think that like the lyrics of Tracy Chapman of resistance, of revolution, of love, of compassion and understanding and empathy are just something that everyone should listen to right now. So if you don't know Tracy Chapman, go check her out and maybe she'll be your sanity corner too. (laughs) Um, I think that also good songwriting is kind of timeless. Yeah. Like there are certain songs that were huge hits and have never been covered despite the fact that they're pretty singable. And, And part of that might be rights issues, but some of it is just like they weren't very good songs. Yeah. You know, like, here's here's my f- favorite example. There are tons of covers of Don Henley's Boys of Summer because Don Henley is a good songwriter. Yeah, and Boys songwriter. of Summer is a good song. It's a good song. And a, yeah, it's a good Deadhead song. Deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. There are, exactly. <laughs> Don't look back. We can never Don't look, look back. back. <laughs> but, but, but a similar song, I consider like a spiritual, like a, a substandard twin to that song is like Summer of 69. Which nobody not a, covers. Not a great song, Brian Adams. It's not a good song. It's, it's not, not a great. good song. Those were the best days of your life, Brian. Were really? They? 
summer of 69 was a really bad time for a lot of people, and that was great for you. Glad it was great for you, Brian. Um, okay, I have another sanity corner slash, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's kind of sad. It's like a sad sanity corner. Um, the National Women's Soccer League had its championship, and yes. Allie Krieger's Gotham FC won unexpectedly. They came, you know, they were underdogs Boom. going into the tournament. She had a lot going on personally uh, that that seemed really unfair and hard, especially like the timing right before her like retirement tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and her team prevailed, and it was it's really exciting. Unfortunately, it was, really exciting. It was also Megan Rapinoe's last game. Uh, Rapinoe got injured, mm-hmm. and she was taken off. I think she said she yeeted her Achilles, which is very funny. Sounds a ver- awful. A very, well, yeet means to like throw. No, or, like, I, but still, okay. Achilles in general, just <laughs> I just trauma like to the said, Achilles. I like that she said she yeeted it. I was like, that's good. That's She's still the same, same person. <laughs> She'll still be around saying things like she yeeted her Achilles. Um, so two really storied women's soccer careers came to an end at the same game. And so it was really significant and really exciting and a really great moment for women's sports. Before we go, let's do some listener shout outs. Yes. We've got time. We've got time. Okay. Want to do number one? No, I want to do number two because it's oh, shout you out do to number you. Two. Oh, okay. Okay, this one uh, is from Nikki, a super fan, self-described. Nikki writes, love you ladies, going to be 70 next month, just discovered podcasts, and you and Pod Save America are my most treasured so far. Fuck Victoria's stupid secret, agreed. I shopped (laughs) there one time for a bridal shower and found a teddy like anyone can sleep with a lace thong up their Yahoo. Jeez. And the size was G. I couldn't decipher the size. Asked the cute young thing working there, and she graciously explained that it was one size fits all. Right. I'm 5'9", and at the time, probably 180 pounds. The bride-to-be was under 5 feet and maybe 90 pounds dripping wet. Were we (laughs) supposed—we were—sorry. We were going to fit in the same robe? There was probably a rule that I shouldn't have been in the store that I didn't know about because clearly they did not have me in mind for the all in fits all. Love, love, love the work you do. Nikki, thank you so much. Love that letter. Thank you, Nikki. Okay, so this one is from Katie. Hi, Hysteria crew. My sister and I are avid listeners of the pod and make it a weekly ritual to talk about the latest episode. We love your pod, and it's truly such a light each week. I wanted to reach out this week and specifically thank Erin for her comments on millennial Gen Z voters. I'm a baby millennial, cusper, and you hit all the concerns on the head. I'm expecting my first baby next month, and with the return of student loans and attempting to navigate the family leave medical insurance mess, I felt completely overwhelmed. I have a master's degree, and my husband and I have fairly good paying jobs, and we are still struggling to afford life. My heart breaks for others in my generation who may be in even more challenging circumstances. Even if the policy solutions seem a long way off, it was refreshing to hear you vocalize all these concerns. Thank you for holding space for these important conversations, and Thank you for reminding listeners there's always space to be petty. Katie. Thank you, Katie. There's absolutely always space to be petty. Listeners, if you want to get in touch, you want to send us a note, send us a tip, send us a pitch. If you've got crazy local news, state news going on, we love to hear about it. Hysteria at crooked.com. All right. That is all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. And it was a really good one. It was so good. Erin, I just love seeing your face every week. I know. And your face is so big in the studio. Oh, it's come like, on. No, no, no. It's like nice. It's like a super, I feel like I can Do you know what I tell Caroline? Glow. Do you know what I tell Caroline? What? That I am, every week when I come into the studio, I feel like Matt Damon in The Martian. 
It's <laughs> growing things in my poop up here. <laughs> I want to give a special thank you to Chrissy Teigen and Monica Simpson of Sister Song for joining us for that interview and having us along for the roundtable event. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die per usual. Listeners, thank you for being you. There will be more hysteria next week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. Subscribe to Hysteria on YouTube for access to video versions of your favorite segments and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a nice review. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. We get audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okolate, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash for over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.